0: with a huge difference. So I want to live till I'm 100, at least, right? And I want to live 99.5 years in good health. If the last six months are bad, I'll take that. <laughs> so what that means is, you're right, the Irish male population, I think we will believe to 83 or something on average, and that's going up every year. So you want to live the first 82 years in good health. If you take any Westernised society, most people are on some sort of medication. So, and the, the older they get, the more meds they have to take. So what I want is the older they get, the less meds they take, and they're mobile, they're active, they're independent, and they've lots of energy, and, and they can move around. And that's really what I'm talking about.
1: Welcome to that we Bear Podcast. We're having great fun. We're delighted to have you here, and I'm Dave. I'm Steve, and Sarah's yawning. Sorry, I'm Sarah. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Mel, for being here. Our podcast, I guess, is all about health. Well, I shouldn't even say, I guess. Our podcast is all about health, well-being, curiosity, fun, and... Good conversations. Yeah, good conversations with really interesting people. So thanks for joining us today. We're most grateful. Uh, Before we start, we just want to tell you about something that have you ever thrown out vegetables and regretted doing so. Or felt like you were throwing money down the toilet. Yes, actually, as a matter of fact, I have, Steve. Well, bear not, we have a solution just for you, Dave. What's our solution? Uh, Oh, so, okay, so our new book is coming out. It's called the veg box. No, that it's, was a bit underwhelming. Say that again with okay. a bit of passion. So our new book no, 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 is out. No, no. Oh, that was too much. That was okay. too much. You're gonna okay. hurt people's ears. Okay, sorry if I hurt your ears. Okay. Okay, well I do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, we lost momentum now. Okay, our new book, the veg box. It's it's coming out. It's wonderful. It's all about instead of being breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we've taken the ten most common veg because 30% of the food you buy is wasted. So we've got a chapter for each of like carrot, broccoli. potato, mushroom, cauliflower and there's 10 recipes for each one of these using 10 ingredients or less it's all about empowering you to eat more fruit and veg and make it simple yeah we're really excited about it Uh, you'll have a link down below but if you'd like to support this podcast
2: pre-order a book please if you were um if someone's i know you're about married men now of many years or well you and sam more recently yeah but yeah it's not like you've been exploring dates but um if someone was to take you on a, a date, what would your ideal date be?
1: Wow, oh, I don't know. A picnic.
2: Yeah. Or picnic. go
1: to a fruit market and sit and eat fruit on the side of the road. Well, then I'd be your go. date. Yeah. That's what I do with you. I'm not going on a date with you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We've done that so many yeah, times. That's
1: that's kind of like or go for an hour walk and sit, or go for a swim. do something. Do something, not to be a passenger. Whether it be a run or go for a cycle, or I'd go say explore make or something.
2: on the first date oh well
1: I didn't know it was the first date you just said a date yeah yeah someone someone okay first date oh well then I definitely wouldn't (laughs) no of course I wouldn't (laughs) Um, uh, I guess going for a walk and having a chat and hopefully connecting that would be the main thing wouldn't it
2: God, you are very simple creatures.
1: Oh, well, we are. We're primates. Like. And
2: if you were taking someone on a first date, like, do you, because we were talking about this earlier in the car, Dave, about the whole concept of peacocking. Oh, peacocking, oh yeah. Performing. Yeah, That's nature. I was, like,
1: got older, I found like th- my favorite dates were. do you want to go for a walk? And it was a lot less, like I was a lot less nervous about meeting someone, asking them out. It was like, can I take you out for dinner? I was like, and then do I, there's all that awkward stuff about the bill and awkward about this. Whereas it was like, Do you want to go for a walk? Yeah, but at what
2: point were you guys, like, known? Because, like, you know, we were saying before how there's an element of, like, bravado or peacocking or whatever that you have to do, performance you need to do when they don't know you. To prove your worth or whatever, oh, yeah, but like you guys are in the public eye, so if you meet someone now, they'll be like, "Well, I already know that the happy pair—they do this, blah blah blah." Yeah, so you might not need right. to prove as much, so you could just get away with it like, "Do you just want to go for a walk?" And then, yeah. well, well I, I, we
1: met a we met a lovely lady over in the UK there recently, and she was saying that she was back in the dating game and she'd been out of it for a period of time or whatever, and she was kind of amazed with she had her friends coaching her because they were they'd been reading all the books and they were saying, well, "You can't text back immediately; you got to wait three days," and then you can't be desperate you've got to, and she had a full etiquette in a rule book which she was playing to and i was just like i we i've never been like that and i found found it like you know it must be hard it, like it can't be easy and then nowadays with the with uh most people i think they say 60 percent of people meet online now in dating apps and whatnot so i don't know it's it's i'm glad to say i'm
2: not doing happy married yeah were you ever on a dating app
1: no no, no we part of me would love to play that game I think it Just a, the fun of it. And maybe it's, you know... The dopamine. It, but maybe it's also like you want what you don't have. So maybe part of me... But I'd love to have a go on that Tinder thing and just play with it and just see what happens just connect and all that. But I don't know. Part of me wonders... I is feel there, it's like Marmite. Is it a bit soulless? Yeah. Is there is there often missing that? Yeah. Or are you consistently looking for the... Looking out... Far away fields are green and oh, maybe one more... One more... Yeah. one more one more person it's the next person who's going to be the go- you know maybe that's going to well also
2: you miss the gems because you're just looking at like exactly. a bio picture, and a picture a picture and a
1: bio and a few lines which yeah. can never display the depth of the human soul never never yeah.
2: I mean it was never I, I never spent too much time on it but it wasn't really I remember I didn't Jean, really your take pictures from it. one time. yeah I remember, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. helping you <laughs> with your
1: pictures one day your profile <laughs> you the... were
2: helping with my pictures with Harold who is now my partner
1: yeah yeah there's but the what irony but was so
2: funny I remember what you guys is that like we had like we were rearranging them. And one of them was me in like a bikini, and like I think it was Dave. You were like, "No, you'll get the wrong kind of man that way." And Steve was like, "Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> that's great sales <laughs> material. Shows your fit." Put <laughs> that at the front. I thought it was so funny. But yeah, it's it's gas. Like you you overthink so much. These like f- what is it? Like four photos that you have that represent
1: you, and ten words or fifteen and that, words. Or and I, I remember Harold, words.
2: who is now my partner and father of my child. He uh, I remember he he was even saying like. Um, I think I had a photo of me like climbing a mountain or something like that. out climbing and then something else outdoors. And he's like, that's quite intimidating. And I was like, Ah. oh, so you can even... It can even be too much. that straight
1: away. Wow. Yeah. Define yourself But people like, <laughs> you
2: know, they analyze this so much. I was like, God, the stress. Like, you kind of nearly want it like, um, you know the way Netflix apparently changes the yeah, cover yeah, of yeah. theirs yeah. based on the type well, of person of social you Social
1: media, they change, your, you know, yeah. depending on which gets the most engagement. Maybe they do advertise. do that.
2: Maybe I'm being silly and they do do that within.
1: They'll show a sporty person. Get your yeah. More yeah. sporty yeah. picture. Yeah, or they'll yeah, show yeah. someone that's more physically inclined the photos of you in your bikini. Yeah, flesh. yeah, yeah. That was a good word, physically inclined. I felt very PC there, didn't I? Uh, can we talk about uh, James Timmons now?
2: You can be. Okay,
1: so this week's podcast is with the wonderful Dr. James Timmons. What a cool gentleman and just such a insightful conversation. He talked about exercise not being exercise and as we grow older, just the absolute importance in having habits. He talked about it being really kind of how we can behavioral change and the importance of maintaining exercise. That we can't, we can't, stop, ten, we can't stop the sands of time, but we can slow them down. Yeah, and exercise is one of the key tools here. He is a wonderful, wonderful man. He lives in Mallorca and is a keen exercisist. Exercisist? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) exercisist. Keen exerciser. (laughs) Um, He's got... an MSc in nutritional science and strength training and exercise and he's a doctor of exercise like he really his whole life over the last decade has been about exercise and particularly in the aspect of aging how can we age better and how can we use exercise as a tool to age better in terms of skeletal strength in terms of bone health in terms of minimizing sarcopenia and osteoporosis and having our full capacity right up until we die fascinating conversation loads of takeaways here I think you're really going to enjoy it so without further ado we give you the wonderful dr james timmins she's brilliant well, well this, this is wonderful to have you on genuinely because i think it's so relevant like i think uh, you know when i see our parents and i see as you said maybe maybe a first place to start is like you were saying about like this aging populations and then the link between aging populations and movement like and, and even maybe like if movement exercise or movement if it was a pill What would it be like? What would it do for you? Because you know the way. Like everyone knows, exercise is good for you, but like so many of us struggle to actually do it on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. A really good point to make. A lot of people talk. They go to the doctor or medics, and they're prescribed, let's say, medicine, and that's based on their research, their studies, and pharmaceutical companies running the world. So the magic pill is is medicine. And that's what medics should be prescribing their patients. And what that looks like is exercise snacking throughout the day. So like what you guys do, you get up early, you jump in the water, then you might do a bit of breathing, you might do some yoga, you might do some handstand movements, you might do some resistance training, then you do walks, you don't sit all the time. So it's, it doesn't have to be structured exercise. It just has to be constant movement throughout the day. Mm.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I think that's what the, the blue zones, I know we're super into those. You know, do you know about the blue zones? Yeah. That they're, they're more consistently moved throughout the day rather than, and what about like, you know, like I guess, I guess the main, like your, your area of experts, exercise, snacking is a really interesting thing. Like what is that? Is that what you mean that kind of exercising throughout the day? Is that what snacking?
0: Yeah, basically. So instead of snacking on food, you snack on exercise so, like traditionally say the american college of sports medicines say you should walk five times a week for 30 minutes but that's very arbitrary it's not it's not definite and people just walk i think what you're better off telling someone is exercise three times throughout the day for five to ten minutes and that can be anything so when you wake up in the morning you might do you could be at your desk doing jumping jacks you could be walking back and forth you could be doing sit-to-stands, anything like that. In the afternoon, it could be a walk. In the evening time, it could be a small swim. It could be anything. But I think you need to pick definite points throughout your day that are part of your daily routine that you know you can subscribe to every day and follow it. Brilliant.
1: Brilliant. Yeah, I think that's a lot more digestible because I guess modern-day society, due to... The way we live industrialized or the information age we work on computers you know we consume information via screens a lot of the time and traditionally if you look at more rural populations we would have worked in the fields and we were just active all day long as now with the advent of kind of processed foods and kind of sedentary lifestyle gyms and exercise has to be this conscious thing that we have to fit in we forgot that we're mammals I wonder if you could talk about the benefits of exercise because often people you know we're all looking for a hack we're looking for a hack to be rich. We're looking for a hack to, to whatever, get abs. a pill to make us healthy. I, this, you mean I put this machine in my stomach and I get abs in 10 minutes. <laughs> but, but so often we don't remember why exercise is so important. I wonder if you could talk about the importance of exercise for our health. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think exercise is, is, is key to healthy living and being happy. So exercise, first of all, releases endorphins in our body. So you naturally feel good. I don't think everyone's ever felt bad after a bout of exercise. I think that's true. So I think just general happiness within yourself—that's the first positive, right? Then obviously it's good for your cardiovascular health. So you're, you're you're increasing aerobic fitness. It's good for your heart. Then obviously if you're doing resistance or strength types work, whether that's picking up boxes or using bandits or your own body weight, you know you're increasing your your skeletal muscle health. But also then. It gives you good energy, positive vibes, and there's a huge social element. It. If you Like, when you guys meet in the morning to go for a swim, it's not just the fact you go for a swim, you actually meet people. And that social connection is key. And that's a huge benefit of
1: exercise. That's nice. Yeah, I like that. And then as we, like, because I know a huge area of your interest is, like, as you age, exercising as you age. And, like, I'm not very... I'm not too good on the stats of aging populations or non-aging populations, except someone did tell me that uh, I think Japan like, has a huge amount of aging people now, like a, a huge majority of their population are over the age of 50, I'm going to say here. Have a punt. I good was running it. the other day and <laughs> someone was telling me about it, so it's a very arbitrary piece of information. Good but you're, you're way more familiar with this. Tell us about aging populations and uh, I'd be interested to learn more about that.
0: Well, I think if, from an Irish perspective, it's yep. the first time in, well, ever in history that there's more people over the age of 65 than under the age of five. So that's a huge wow. shift. At the moment, there's roughly about 850,000 that are over the age of 65. By 2026, that'll up towards 1 million. And then by 2046, that'll be up to nearly 1.5 million. So that's a, well, that's a huge shift in society. So old school thinking was as you age, you slow down and you did nothing. But it was actually what we know now is, as you age, you should be doing more. So there's a, a, how would you say this? There's a shift in the thought process from a government perspective that they need to keep people active longer because they're going to be working longer and they need to be healthier. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, that's
1: fascinating. That's amazing that there's more like there's, that's at a macro perspective, like if you go super high up and look down, you see that certainly in Ireland, and it's probably indicative of other Western countries as well, that there's, it really is an aging population. And because we're having less kids and, you know, two, two people are making one kid, maybe it's two kids. I don't know what the the direct correlation is now, but um yeah, I guess like when you say we need to be active for longer, like what does that look like and what does that mean like and what have you found from your research? Because I know you've done lots of research in this and this has been a serious interest of yours for quite a while.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been a massive interest of mine. Um, so in terms of what's it look like, it means that exercise needs to be part of the national curriculum. And I don't mean from a school's perspective. I mean, all the way through until... Death. Okay, so my mantra is, is to match your health span to your lifespan. That means that we're going to live longer due to modern medicine, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to live healthier. So we need to exercise as much as we can and sleep as best we can, eat as best we can, have less stress le- levels to actually live longer and healthier. Does that make sense?
1: And exercise, I suppose, like it's the one that links a lot of them because if you exercise and move more, you're going to sleep better. If you exercise and move more, you're going to have less stress. If you exercise and move more, you're more likely to make better, healthier choices rather than chocolate bars and cans of Coke. So it certainly has this positive compounding benefit to it. And like you said, something there like health span and lifespan. Could you talk more on that? Because like we're all aware, like I, I realized there back in April, just gone like a few months ago, Ireland, there was a piece of research which came out that said Ireland had the longest life Expectancy of people in Europe that the average person is going to live to 82, I think it was, when i gone into the weeds of it. Um, and like, so, so that's lifespan, but you said health span. So, I, so could you talk
0: about those two and what's the difference? Well, there's a huge difference. So I want to live till I'm 100 at least, right? And I want to live 99.5 years in good health. If the last six months are bad, I'll take that. So what that means is you're right. The Irish male population, I think we're believed to 83 or something on average, and that's going up every year. So you want to live the first 82 years in good health. If you take any Westernized society, most people are on some sort of medication. So, and the, the older they get, the more meds they have to take. So what I want is the older they get, the less meds they take, and they're mobile, they're active, they're independent, and they've lots of energy and they can move around. And that's really what i talk talking about. Brilliant. How do we do
1: it? That's yeah, brilliant. Specifics around exercise. Like when you talk about exercise, like it, it, you're very inspiring how you talk about, like that it's something that's just part of our day consistently done and that it's like exercise snacking i think is very digestible ironically but it's very it's an easy concept to get an easy kind of like okay yeah just do it a few times a day little small little bites throughout the day is there any kind of upper limit in terms of exercise like as in you are doing too exercise too much exercise take it easy and like what you do can... you mean by because i know there's different types of exercise there's cardiovascular there's lifting weights and there's aerobic
0: and anaerobic stre- stre- stretching or okay so i think i think that's two questions in one. I'll, ask the first, I'll answer the types of exercise first. Brilliant. So in my studies, we would have looked at aerobic training, which is anything to raise your heart rate. So from cycling, running, walking, swimming, that type of stuff. And then you have strength training or resistance training. That can be done with weights, it can be done with your body weight, it can be done doing handstands, it can be done with resistance balance. Okay, so They're the two main elements. Around that, you might have your yoga, Pilates, mindfulness, and that's another area. Okay, But put that aside for one moment. What we found is a mixture of, of aerobic and resistance training, which I have coined or termed concurrent training, is the optimal way to age well. So to increase your strength, to at least maintain your muscle mass, but more importantly, to increase your function. And function means daily living. So walking up and down the stairs, getting up and down on a chair, etc. And that's really key. And as you made the point earlier, as you age our modern technology, people do less of less. So it's that idea of concurrent training. And what we found was doing concurrent training, 24 minutes, three times a week, you had huge benefits in terms of increasing muscle tissue, uh, huge increase in lower limb strength and upper limb strength, and obviously, huge increase in cognitive function and your cardiovascular function. Does that make sense? Wow.
1: Yeah, of course. And then in terms of the distribution between, like you spoke of the two, anaerobic and aerobic or, you know, aerobic training to kind of improve your cardiovascular health. And then at the same time to do some degree of resistance training or strength training in terms of proportioning it, is it 50% each or is it kind of recommended to be maybe 60% aerobic and 40% or is strength or is it and specific? Well, no, age specific,
0: no, or, or gender specific in general. And um, is where the research is kind of arbitrary where they look at things they say that they definitely have a huge emphasis on cardiovascular fitness over resistance training as time has gone on and with social media and the younger generations necessity to show off their aesthetics strength training has now taken nearly over cardiovascular training i think 50 50 because Cardiovascular disease is still the biggest killer in the world. So we need to make sure that we have good cardiovascular health. But also, if you're stronger in a more robust sense, so from head to toe, um, you're going to be healthier. And I'm not just talking about, like, aesthetically, but I'm also talking about metabolically inside your body.
1: Mm, Yeah, because when I think of, uh, like, as uh, I'm using the kind of... um, the kind of idea of older people and I'm kind of going, okay, well, when I'm 70 or whatnot, I'll probably be less interested in having a six pack and having big biceps and I'll be much more interested in being able to move well and lift my suitcase when I go on holidays and this type of thing. So strength training, I think is like, I believe it's important, particularly in terms of bone health and minimizing osteoporosis or this type of thing. Is there a link between strength training and
0: bone health and skeletal health? It's a great question. So, My PhD research was based on a TEDx talk by a guy called Dr. Brendan Egan, who ended up becoming my supervisor. And it's only 10 minutes. It's called uh, TEDx Muscle Matters. Watch it 100%. That inspired me to do my PhD. And uh, from that, I texted him and I said, Can we do some research in this area? And he said, Yeah, let's apply. We applied to the Irish Research Council and we got funded. And um, skeletal muscle health is based on, a think called sarcopenia. As you age, you lose muscle mass, okay? That may or may not be important. Is that, is also, that, a, fa-
1: is that a fact? Is that like just for everyone fact, as we get older? fact, fact, fact. fact.
0: Yeah. So people say, when do you start aging? From when you're born. However, from the age of 30, that's when you start noticing you know, decreases, particularly in strength and in muscle mass, so lean muscle tissue. But the good news is between 30 and 70, 75, if you maintain or have, lead a healthy, active lifestyle, you can maintain the mass or actually it. okay? Regardless, if you're a top athlete and you maintain this training all your life, you will still get decreases Decade on decade, but the decreases are less if you're training more. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So sarcopenia is muscle wastage, osteoporosis or osteopenia is bone that de- you're losing bone density. So I always say to people, especially older females, they say, Well, oh, I have osteoporosis. They go, Well, it doesn't matter. If you do strength training, one you're going to be stronger, so you're less likely to fall. So it's irrelevant. Two, you lay better foundations for increasing or at least maintaining bone density if you do strength training. So it kills super as the one so. Right.
1: And so, strength training is like, do I have to be in the gym to do strength training, or is strength training like doing some, like, you know, when I think of myself, like, as, and me and Steve, like, we'll do press ups, we'll do pull ups, we'll do dips, we'll do like that type of stuff. And we're used to it. But when I think of my wife, she doesn't like doing press ups. She wouldn't do them by herself. She wouldn't like doing pull ups by herself. So she goes to the gym. And I just wonder, in terms of strength training, like, as we get older, is it typically gym related or people, if they're motivated, they'll do it themselves? Or what do you kind of, what, what is your prescription in terms of strength training as we age? Particularly like, I'm thinking 60
0: and older. Okay. There's uh, does, no. Does I definite answer but in my opinion from research and from my personal background as you get older the general consensus older adults don't like gyms the reason for that is they see it as a young man's game or a young woman's game not a young person's game and they like the social elements of training and they don't get that in the gym environment okay so my advice is to use your own body weight like what you guys do or resistance bands. try to train within a group setting because you're accountable you're more likely to change your behavior and as a social component afterwards but ultimately whether it's in a gym whether it's on the beach in a park in your house it doesn't matter as long as you're getting resistance against your body weight
1: and it's it's almost it's almost like being counterculture because, as Stephen said, like our societies are not set up for us to move like. And as a young person, you know, there's more energy, there's more vitality, and there's more you know interest in looking good. So there's more motivation looking good. So people like you know younger younger people are typically more motivated to be healthy and fit but as we get older I can see myself, we're 40 when I was thir- we 42 and when I was 30 I was more interested in my aesthetics than I am now and imagine as I hit 50 and 60 it'll probably decrease as well and will be less physically interested I think you look great Dave, thanks for, <laughs> 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 but I'm just kind of thinking there that like um, how do we bake this into our societies because society as we said like it's a lot easier to get up and you know you flick on a switch for heat, you get in your car a lot of us do work on laptops, we spend a a lot of time on screens, like we don't a lot of us like whereas if you look at the blues on the longest living populations they garden or they grow their own veg they they don't have cars they have to cycle they like movement is baked into their day and I'm just thinking like how do for anyone who's listening who's who's interested in their parents encouraging their parents to move more or who is over the age of 60 like how do we because it like it seems like it has to be proactive it can't be we can't be passive with this because our environment does not force us to move but really. also like part of the human experience is that we seek comfort we're lazy we want to be energy efficient so we we're, we're kind of it's almost baked into us to choose that the lazy option it's just part of the very fabric of the human existence so, so, so like at a governmental level like if you were if you were uh, mr. government man you're the head of the government mr government man very good. Government. like a nice culture <laughs> okay man. so mr. government man what would you do for an aging population knowing that the Irish population the global population is aging and there's a great opportunity mr. government man to be an example here to the world at large of how we can tackle this problem that's on, a very small question. And create right? an environment for our aging population to thrive. What's your answer, <laughs> Mr. Government? Man? Why should we vote for you?
0: Will they give you a political answer? No. <laughs> it's a very good question. Um, no, I think you've actually hit a really good point. I think from a government perspective, they do need to take charge of this. And I think uh, from an Irish society perspective, weather, culture, modern technology... It does everything to stop us exercising. What I would like to say is, to start with, is before the six o'clock news and the nine o'clock news on RTE, they have an exercise specialist who's um, trained in the aging body, gets people up and moving. So a simple thing like, okay, let's do ten minutes of, you know, sit to stands, different movements, marching them down the spot. So activity becomes part of their... Before they sit down. Does that make sense? So you nearly become... Like you have a part of a TV program. They do exercise before horns, And that could be on the, a morning Ireland show. It could be on a radio show. It could be something like that. So it becomes part of the... the
1: consumer first. culture. And part of the consumer yeah.
0: culture. Almost almost like
1: the way the Angelus used to be on the news.
0: Basically. It, that, that's just from a... A general health and well-being perspective then obviously they should be promoting things like gardening clubs uh, hill walking sea swims meetups outside. you know encouraging i, I love your uh, meter walks that's brilliant like exercising fresh ideas not stuck over a coffee you know you're sitting out and you're walking those type of things like the, the government owned new ticket, charge this.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think, Mr. Government Man, I thought you did a great job on that because that's, oh, a, I like the idea before the news. I think that's a gas one. Well, it kind of fits into this kind of, you know, consumerist life. Which How we do we vote for and, you, Mr. Government Man? Sorry, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> that was an idiot's stupid joke. <laughs> one, one question I had was just, I think social accountability is something that is almost like a secret sauce with, um, something that we found that benefits us so much is that. You know, often I don't want to exercise, you're lying in bed, you're tired, you know, the alarm clock went off and it's like, oh, maybe I won't go. But if I've committed to meet, for example, Dave here or Raj or Shawnee or Sarah, and we're going to go do some training, I show up. And then typically I bring a better version of myself because I meet my friends and I don't want to be a grumpy, you know, tired person. So uh, I wonder if we could talk briefly about the importance of social accountability, because I'm sure many people listening can find it hard to find motivation and kind of find it hard to get going.
0: Yeah, I think social accountability is everything. I think at this day and age, we all know that exercise has some benefits. We might know the deep sciences, but we know it's beneficial. But as you said, if you have a buddy, a family member, a friend, a group that you're going to meet, you're much more likely to, to do it. When I finished my PhD, I talked to my supervisor and I said, that's great. We found all this great information, but if no one does it, It doesn't matter. So the behavioral component or the behavioral change is the most important part. So meeting a friend, as you said, it's fun. You're training with somebody. You have a chat, bit of crack, bit of banter, but you're getting that either strength or cardiovascular hit as well. And I I think that's key. So I, I do think social accountability, no matter who it is, will force you to do it.
1: One habit, which is super relevant here is a friend, uh, Sarah, who's here, who produces the show. Her partner, Harold and Sarah, they they built a gym out the back of their garden, which is like it's a, a kind of bodyweight gym. And on Friday night, Harold, uh, we all meet at Harold's bar. And, you know, you think Friday night you all go to the bar or whatever, but this bar is like a chin up bar. And we, there's like, it's a bunch of lads, like it's almost like therapy, like it's 5.30 on a Friday evening, we all go up to Harold and Sarah's back garden, up to Harold's bar, and we do pull ups and press ups and dips and there's weights and we hang out at things and we lift things and we do all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it just feels so tribal and so primitive. And it's just, it makes you do so much more than you'd ever do by yourself. And I think just the accountability piece is golden and the habitual, like just having it on a habit, like a regular kind of habit.
0: Yeah, and it, it drives you on. And the fact that you have a different social element, it's not the pub, it's a bar, but a pub bar. I love that. It's it's brilliant.
1: Friday uh, Friday nights, 5.30 in Harold's. Yeah. I'm there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, can you have too much exercise? That's the other side, just for anyone listening who's kind of going, geez, I, I, I'm exercising all the time. Is Is there... Is this... Does this exist? Well, I'm sure it does in some shape or form, but... But you, ha- you heard of your man, the Iron Cowboy, that lad that ran 365 Iron Men. 365, I think it was something crazy like that, an Iron something. Man a day for 300... Something, something mad anyway, something that it's hard to even imagine. Or there's, there's uh, Ross Edgeley who swam around the UK. So like there's, there's incredible feats of human endurance and possibility. So I think for the... I don't know. You're, you're the expert, sorry.
0: No, no, no. I don't think I'm mean, sorry. Obviously, you can do too much exercise, but for the the normal person who is working, has kids, or is retired, they're never going to do too much. Like, and if you're too if you're tired, just sleep more. You know, I I I, I don't think that's a, a concern. It's like the concern when, when people say, "I don't want to get too big." I go, "Listen, pal,
1: to <laughs> no at,
0: it's not going to happen." You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 of And um, 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 were your parents or grandparents active? Like, what got you into this? Or what was the, what was the huge impetus?
0: Oh, well, I was very sporty all my life. My parents were normal. You know, tennis, golf. But I was a uh, rugby player, soccer player, did a lot of athletics. And so I was very competitive all my life. It was in me, just naturally. I have to admit that. And anyone who knows me would, would say that. I was always very interested in how the body works. And more importantly how I could maximise my potential on the pitch, whether it was rugby, soccer or athletics. I focused, probably 18, on soccer. I was lucky enough to play in different countries and as a way of prolonging my career and also um, maximising my recovery from injury, I started really focusing on how the body works. Once I finished... I went back and studied sports science, and within that, I started working just for athletes, just for athletes, did a master's in strength and again, athletes, but I was lucky enough to get a position in a place called MedFit, proactive healthcare, which is in Blackrock. and the primary focus is on fixing people's backs, but also with a view to getting people healthier. And reducing pain and improving quality of life luckily at the time the owner john murphy uh, advised me to continue my research in the aging population and i haven't looked back since and that coupled with my interest and in brendan egan's uh, sarcopenia talk has led me on 10 years of <laughs> of research, and I'm actually working now in, I suppose, trying to help people age well.
1: It's a great
0: great one, like it really is. Can
1: I ask a question? I noticed there was a couple of research papers that you sent on, and one was, I think it was on the impact of a whole food plant-based diet on athletic performance or something like that, and maybe I'm totally... Misinterpreting, but there was something about protein intake and eating whole foods, or something about, yeah, or something that, about diet. That, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if we could just talk about that just how how diet impact in terms of exercise and people's and particularly as we age. Because I think, like anyone listening, some people will be young, some people will be older, and some might be relevant for themselves, but some might be more relevant to their parents. But I think this is applicable to everyone.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start this, uh, with just saying that I'm not vegetarian, not vegan. But I don't eat meat. I fish the odd time, and I primarily follow a plant-based diet because I believe, and it's it's a healthier way of living, right? So that's just my belief. So when I talk about protein, though, I'm not as long as you get your protein requirements from whatever source, I'm happy with that. Okay, just to clarify that. So we followed a in the very first study. Did was this concurrent training model? we, We looked at aerobic training versus resistance training versus concurrent training without a nutritional intervention. And we found that the concurrent model was the best in terms of improving strength, cardiovascular function, cognitive function, and we only maintained lean tissue. So over 12 weeks training, three times a week, we didn't notice any improvement in lean tissue. However, on the next study, we took this concurrent model and we looked at one group who just did that, one group did it with, with their training, plus added protein to their diet, which wasn't based on supplementation, it was based on whole foods. So this idea of trying to snack on protein throughout the day, having what's called an even distribution, which means that you guys will know this, westernized diets, most people have most of the protein in the evening and they have nothing in the morning, a bit more at lunch and it totally at the even time. So it's the usual like, you know, cereal for breakfast, maybe soup and sandwiches with a bit of bread for, so with a bit of meat for lunch and then a big steak dinner as an example. Whereas we believe that, um, not believe, it's true, having distribution evenly throughout the day is the best way of doing it. So what we did was this group, they not only had the greatest increases in lower limb strength, but they also increased their lean muscle tissue, which for older adults is extremely difficult. And in a 12 week period was a, was a huge success. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, brilliant. So, so- so-
1: the so, learnings are just to try to, instead of eating protein, as many people do, kind of a high, higher protein intake, typically at their evening meal, to try to evenly distribute it throughout the day. So maybe it's simply having a bit of almond butter with your porridge or having a bit exactly. of that with your cereal, or maybe it's with your lunch, having some hummus or some beans with that in the evening, similarly, just so that it's consistently throughout the day. And as a result, you'll have more lean muscle. And when you said, in- and when you said concurrent training, that meant some type of, like, so say it was, was it something like 45 minutes of running and weight resistance training like concurrent means yes. combination of both doesn't yes, it? Exactly
0: but what we did was it was 12 minutes of either cycling or cross training or and 12 minutes of resistance training that was broken up into four minute bouts of um, aerobic training either on the bike or cross trainer which are heart rate at 80 to 85% of your Maximal heart rate.
1: Does that yeah. make sense? So a zone two, like, you know, that kind of, you're in the, the second yeah. zone or the third zone. zone or whatever it is, yeah. So no, the second zone, second zone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And oh, then wow. resistance training upper and lower limbs. Wow. wow.
1: Really interesting. And is that... Can yeah. I talk briefly just about heart rate? Because I, 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 as soon as you, I, I've got one of these trackables, and I'm kind of quite interested. In. And the zone one is typically your day to day, isn't it? And then zone two, when you're more active, your heart rate starts getting kind of up to one twenty, and then often it's yeah. fat burn it's typically months. starts occur up into. Anyway, would you talk briefly about this because I know nothing, as you can hear. No, no, talk, 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 talk. <laughs> no, no. Just interested because I know they, they, like the World Health Organization or some bodies say that you should get twenty-two zone minutes a day or whatever that is over a week. And what is a zone minute, and what is the zones, and why is this relevant to anyone listening?
0: Okay, so trackable devices are interested. I um, <laughs> like interesting, very good. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they have their place in society. They're useful because they give you an indicator of where you're at. Okay. If a tracker is on your wrist, it's not as accurate where you wear a, a strap. So I'm very reluctant to say it's reliable data, just from a science perspective. Okay. Okay, but just want to clarify that. But from if, if you're tracking and you're believing what you're reading is accurate, you have different zones. So the fifth zone is the red zone, which is the, you're working maximal. Then it goes green, yellow, whatever it goes down to, and, and to the zone one, which is the resting heart zone, right? Depending where you work on that zone depends what you use as a source of energy. So you mentioned the fat burning zone, which is the middle one, right? What that means is, it doesn't mean you burn more fat. It means that, Fat is a source of fuel to, to move, help you move. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's
1: anaerobic rather than just aerobic.
0: Well, it's more aerobic. And then, and then as you turn over to, say, to zone four, with a higher intensity, you switch over to carbohydrates. So sort of between 50 to 70% of your heart rate max, you start to go to use carbohydrates as a source of fuel. So... That's why when you hear people in a marathon, they hit the wall, what that means is they've run out of carbohydrates, so then they use fuel, so they use fat as a fuel source, and the transition one to the other makes people fatigue very fast. So, so if if you become efficient at burning fat as a fuel, it's very good because you have much more fat than carbohydrates, does that make sense? So...
1: In terms of your body's ability to store it, we store and so, fat. We so don't, it, we don't store a bag of carbs hanging out of our, you know, our back pocket.
0: No, you, you can only store, when you eat foods and you metabolize this and you break it down to carbohydrates, it stores your muscles as glycogen and then in your blood as glucose. So once that's gone, it's gone until you refuel yourself. So as you said, you've, you've much more fat, so you can use that as fuel. So... I should have forgotten the question I was gonna I was gonna make the point
1: there. I was gonna make the point there that like so so endurance athletes like long distance kind of triathlons or marathon runners or ultra distance runners that are running like serious distances, they'd would they would they'd be burning a certain they'd obviously keep consuming stuff that has glucose in it, like carbohydrates and whatnot, or or else they just get efficient at burning fat. Is that it, I suppose?
0: With a high, yeah. So the more trained you are, the more efficient your body becomes at using fuel. But obviously, like if you see a top marathon runner when they're taking water, I'm ninety-nine point nine percent sure that they have a carbohydrate source or a caffeine source as well within that to help them fuel them longer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that's why they're like the gels
1: bit like the gels or whatnot that you see a lot of cyclists with gel packs and they'll be sucking on something which has got some form of glucose in it 100 percent.
0: yeah glucose and probably caffeine
1: okay is, is there any zone that helps lose less mu- muscle or or i'll use the new word that i just learned today that kind of encourage... reduce your risk of s- sarcopenia i like that word i <laughs> sound clever when i say that
0: word. <laughs> <laughs> Should I review what that meant about 10 years ago? so don't worry about it. It's a new, it's a new concept. Okay. What, so the question was, what, what, is, is, is there, there a, any
1: zone that will help minimize your risk of sarcopenia or is it all the same like in terms of exercise? Your main mitigation against sarcopenia is resistance training or some form of strength training really?
0: Yeah. So sarcopenia used to be defined as muscle well, wastage in older adults. Now it's actually defined as muscle wastage loss of strength and loss of function and i'd be i think it's more important to increase your strength which in turn increases your function and if you can maintain mass you're doing well don't mix up the zones of cardiovascular work with the strength doing cardiovascular work is working your cardiovascular system whereas your nutritional intake plus your exercise of resistance strength training will counteract against sarcopenia.
1: Yeah, yeah I think. Yeah, no, that was brilliant. Yeah, and in yeah. the in, in the other, like, so as we age in terms of health span and lifespan, what about stretching and the, the you know, because... Obviously, we've got cardiovascular, which is people might be running or cycling or swimming or something. And then other people might be good with resistance training, whatever that is, weights or body weight stuff or bands or whatnot. But then stretching, like stretching or flexibility or yoga or this type we, of thing I guess we, we found now we're 40 we found that stretching has helped we're us 42, see. so much in terms of our body's ability to function and similarly like our dad's mad into it too and to just stretch and our brother our and brother our, Mark he's super into it and as I well. just wonder if you could talk briefly about stretching have you found stretching to be equally as important to the silver generation as I think you lovely you, you called it so eloquently um, but have you found it equally as important in terms of concurrent training
0: yeah it's, it, it's stretching as important <clears throat> I think stretching is extremely important. Um, I, call, I call it mobility, flexibility, and that can be incorporated into strength. So I'm 41. As I'm aging now, I definitely am focusing my training more on type of handstand work, that mobility, flexibility, because as you age, you're tightened. Okay? So I think it's extremely important because the more mobile and flexible you are, the I suppose the more energized you feel, the more you feel you can move better and just your whole general movement is better. However, if I was prioritizing, I would say properly strength and cardiovascular function from a health perspective is more important than mobility flexibility. However, if I was prescribing you as your physician or as your medical exercise experts. I would say I would integrate mobility as part of your daily routine and as part of your flexibility. Sorry, as part of your strength training. So a lot of the mobility work can be done to strength. Does that make sense? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Are
1: there any baseline measurements like because I'm just thinking it, it makes sense to have baseline metrics, you know, the way like there's random arbitrary metrics such as well, you should get 10,000 steps a day. And like, and that's great because what gets measured gets managed. If you keep measuring things, you're going to stick with them. I agree, and I'm I just agree. thinking across our lifespan, are there basic different at points? We should be able to do this. Or at this point we should be able to do this or at this, because like I remember mom, she was saying that uh, to get all, to get up from the floor without using your hands was a basic thing and I can't remember if she was saying that this was a basic flexibility or mobility exercise which was done in Sweden at a certain age and mom was delighted that she could do it as many times as she wanted and she was set, just tipping 70 so I just wondered are there baseline kind of things that everyone should be able to do like touch their toes or touch their ankles or like is there some way of evaluating where you're at in this spectrum or, and what's normal and what's what's going to help you live to 100 <laughs> <laughs>
0: Again, a very interesting question. Uh, on that flexibility note, about which I'm was talking about, that's an interesting study. That was based on: can you sit down and stand up without using your hands? I test a lot of my patients, clients on that, and most people can't do it. What they found with that study was, over a long period of time, the people who couldn't do it died younger. Right. Now, that's a very profound um, thing to say. But, but, <laughs> no, but, but the reason why is it, it's not necessarily the exercise. It's that if you can't do it, you lack the flexibility, mobility, strength. And if you're low in all those things, you're probably low in lots of other things in life. So it's not a cause effect, but the reality is if you can't do it, maybe you have a Ability injury, but let's say you're, you've nothing wrong with you, you're probably globally weak. So those studies are very interesting, right? So that makes- It's more
1: indicative indicative rather than cause effect.
0: Basically. So a lot of studies would show that low hand grip strength, so basic hand grip, if you have low hand grip strength, you'll die younger. But why? Because if you have low hand grip strength, as you said, it's indicative of other things. So what we look at is in the older adults and we look at hand grip strength, we look at habitual walking speeds and then sit stands. And I think below certain thresholds, they're red flags. Now one low marker isn't necessarily a red flag. It'd be a yellow flag, but two or three together, then you might get worried. It's like with cardiovascular disease. If someone has high cholesterol, okay, you notice, if someone's high cholesterol, poor cardiovascular fitness, high blood pressure, then you're worried. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So I'm not trying to not give you definite um, numbers to follow, but, but I, there is, from a sarcopenia perspective, you can look at numbers. But for the general population, what people want is a cardiovascular fitness of um, a VO2 max of 35 or above, or what's called a MET score of 10. Now, to get that, you have to do a test. You can't do that yourself. But a basic test would be if the resting heart rate, so when you wake up in the morning, the lower that gets, that's indicative that your heart is is functioning well. So that's a a sign of good cardiovascular fitness. If you can do, let's say, 10 full press-ups, which the majority of people can't do, that's a sign you've good... Base strength. I mean, those kind of yeah, things
1: yeah, yeah, are important. They're nice, simple things. Yeah, and say of,
0: for, like, c- c- can c- I ask about
1: grip strength? Because I think grip strength is fascinating. You know, we're pro- we're we uh, apparently we evolved from primates, and you know, we used to hang out of things a lot. Now, modern day society, unfortunately, we don't hang out of things. We tend to hang around. Well, things. we hang out at out yeah. bars. But, and- but I think it was my brother Dar, was talking about how grip strength can be a great indicator of your overall physiological fu- ability to function and i know i remember regularly not regularly but when we go to a carnival or we go to any of these type of things there was always a bar and if you could hold onto the bar for two minutes you'd win a 100 oh, yeah. quid and all the big lads would come and go yeah i got it and very few of them would be able to do it and then it'd be the six-year-old kid that'd stand there and just hold on to for four minutes and i just wonder if we could talk briefly about the importance of grip strength and how indicative it can be for your overall physical and what is grip pressure? strength for anyone like is it what does that? What do you mean by that? For anyone, so if
0: you hold a bottle, water container. <laughs> My whole bum, your ability to grab something as tight as it can, and the force that goes through your forearm that you can hold something. Does that make sense? So gripping a yeah. door, that's grip strength. So a lot of grip strength comes from forearm strength. So that, go back to those big bulky guys. The reason they can't hold themselves in a bar is because usually when the gym. They're not working the forearm strength. They work biceps, triceps, these, you know, that's what they were. We all say, these, these are the showers and these guys are the goers. But, like, th- that, these are the show-off and the, the posterior chain is to make you go fast. In terms of gripping, they're too heavy to hold the body weights. So it's all to do being in proportion or your strength relative to your body size. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, of course, so, yeah.
0: Be, having good grip strength, one is you uh, have to train us, but two is the reason kids are better usually is because their strength to body weight ratio is correct. As you age, then that gap starts to widen.
1: Yeah, It's hard. I remember we were training for, we did a, a part, of, they did a one day Ireland's fittest family last year. And they did a kind of special edition one and we were asked to be part of it and we were in it. And one of the events is where it's like a hanging one where you're meant to hang as long as you can in a bar. And we were training a bit for it, and it's awful. Like, it's really not pleasant to do. It's like, it reminds me of like the beep test, which we used to do in school sometimes. Like, it was that just mentally grueling. You're just, how much pain can you endure by hanging off a bar? And that was the whole idea of the strength. And uh, okay, so th- that was really just a, a random story, And <laughs> so, No question, no
0: contribution. Did, did, did you win? Did you win? But, That's what I was about. Oh, we, we did.
1: did win it. Yeah, we did win it. But thankfully, that event didn't come up. Uh, Thank goodness. One point on that, though,
0: the the, the thickness of the bar will dictate how easy or difficult it is. The thinner it is, the easier. The more thicker, obviously, it's more difficult.
1: I love the the attention to detail. I think that's very good, good. James. Uh, For for anyone listening, who's kind of wondering, okay, this all sounds great. Do you have any kind of tips for success? General points that everyone listen go, yeah, okay, James, Doctor James, tell me this, 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 and now I got it. So at any age, that's applicable to any age because it's kind of general rules. Like, as you said their grip strength is indicative. You said kind of basic being able to- say gripping, but just about overall exercise. Yeah, okay, right, I'll shut up.
0: Okay, I think my dad would say when I was younger, and he'll be quoting this, but he'd say, J-D-I, which means just do it, right? With the Nike, and the G- you know, Nike. but just do it. Find something that you like and start doing it. That's the first thing I'd say, okay? So find something you like doing and do it in terms of exercise. it's walking, cycling, swimming, Dancing. jumping up and down,
1: sorry. Dancing.
0: is great because that's sociable and you're moving. But anything you like, do it. That's the first thing. Then find somebody to do it with so you're accountable, right? That's the second point. If you don't have someone to do it with, find a trainer or someone online or someone you can text or WhatsApp or email or phone that you have a weekly check-in that you feel, okay, these people are taking control of helping me take control of my life, okay? And then build it into daily routine or weekly routine and then make the behavior change. People say to me, what should I do? Do something. And I don't program people anymore unless they prove to me over a month's period that they've done this for at least three times a week. So I know that they're gonna actually stick to something because I've wasted years of helping friends, family, and I really take pride in programming for them and they never do it. So it's finding something you like doing, get someone to do it with you, or be accountable to somebody or something, and then build into your daily routine. That makes sense. And, yeah. and the
1: prescription really is like is there a prescription that's universal like is it kind of like train for 30 like as you said concurrent training which is a combination of aerobic and strength training um was best which you found in your own research and is the prescription kind of three times a week of 30 minutes like this type of thing Okay Good question As here. a minimal, as a minimal, like I'm just thinking, where's the minimal? Because like, there's a the minimal, okay. and then you want to build on that if you're a, if you're looking for better results.
0: I like to call something what's called front loading. So I would say at the start, yeah, for a three-month period, three times a week, let's say that 24 minutes. That 24 minutes is of actual work. That the rest periods are built into that. So it's 24 minutes plus. Your rest periods within that so it's it adds up to about 36 minutes okay in terms of overall time consumed okay once you get to you reach a level so your first three months you'll you'll notice huge improvements almost, no matter what you do doesn't matter what you do you get massive improvements then you plateau and then you're at the stage you're going to decide what you want do you want to keep going or do you want to maintain if you want to maintain twice a week or even once a week will probably maintain where you're at. If you want to improve, you've got to follow what's called progressive overloads. Do you know the Greek myth of Milo? Do you know that no, story?
2: No, so
0: but I'd love he has to hear it. Ca- <laughs> no, it's a great story. He has a calf and he walks with his calf every day. What happens after every day? He feeds his calf and the calf gets bigger. And what happens to him?
1: He gets smaller? Well, no. He uh, gets bigger too. Oh, he gets bigger too, but not at the same rate as a ca- cow. Yeah,
0: so the, the calf gets bigger and because he's, and because he's carrying them, he gets bigger and he gets stronger. And in the modern science world, that's called progressive overload. So he's progressively overloading his body with a form of exercise every day to get improvements. Now the body works at peaks and troughs, but ultimately... You've got to get to a level that you're happy with and then decide, do I maintain this? And minimum is once a week of concurrent training or do I want to maximize my potential and try to improve? As a exercise specialist, I would prescribe and recommend that while you're, let's say, young or young old, which I call like 50 to 70, you've got to... Bank as much as you can. So, the stronger you are, the fitter you are, and the more lean tissue you have, and say the less fat tissue you have, the, as you age after 75, you're going to drop off, but you have more in the tank. So, when you're 80, 85, 90, you still have a, a decent proportion of lean muscle tissue. I, I did forget to say one thing, sorry, in, in the study, it just came to my head. We did find in the concurrent training that we also saw a significant decrease in trunk fats And trunk fat's that horrible fat around that midsection, and then the visceral fats around the liver, heart, etc. And that was a really nice finding for older adults, because this middle-aged spread, that by doing concurrent training, even without a nutrition add-on, they still decreased in trunk fast. I just wanted to say that sorry that, that's, that's really That's very relevant.
1: That's super relevant. Sorry, the super, super relevant. And so so say for example, so say for example, you're 80 like you yeah. know, James is now 80. It's 40 years time. You're 81 years old. You've got at least another 20 years in your... You've got yet yeah, another 20 years in the tank. Like, you're not going to be able to build muscle. Like, after 75, it's hard to build muscle and build skeletal strength. It's typically... You're, it's a bit like, you know, you've you've ran out of gas and now you're seeing how much you've got in the tank to kind of freewheel it down the hill. Like, is it that yeah, kind of analogy?
0: Kind of. Yeah, I would say that after 75, it becomes... Much more different. That's not to say you shouldn't be following the right guidelines. You still should be resistance training. You still should be taking your required protein intake to whatever sources that you feel like take it through. But as you get older, your appetite drops. You find it harder to keep your protein intake high because the, it, it just it's more satiating and people feel fuller. And also, what's the like? You just it's harder to to do it. And your protein synthesis, the way your body synthesizes protein, you, you don't uh grow muscle as quick as a 20 year old. Does that make sense? Nice. It's not to say you can't maintain this.
1: There's there's a guy who we swim with and he I, I think he's about sixty-five, but he's he's full of muscles. Like he's got a six pack and he's he's just in incredible shape. He's retired and he's like he makes some of the us young lads like he shows us up and he he comes to harold's bar on a friday too and he's well able and it's it's pretty inspiring it's inspiring yeah. to see um, and final, final question james does the analogy of use it or lose it apply like it, it seems to apply more than ever like in terms of our physiology that if we don't use our body in any form of exercise it starts to deplete or decline and we lose it
0: yeah it's a really good um saying It's one that Brendan Egan used at the end of his sarcopenic talk, which I advise you to listen to. If you don't use it, you lose it. Unfortunately, with health and fitness, you have to put in super efforts to get to a level. Well, not super efforts, but good efforts. And if you drop off, it goes pretty quickly. So the user or lose the thing is extremely important. And I'm going to give you a scary stat. When older people uh, have bed rest due to being sick or being in a hospital, they just like, this is very scary. Within 10 days, they can lose up to 10% of skeletal muscle mass. I'm going to repeat that. Within 10 days of bed rest, they lose 10% of skeletal muscle mass. To put that into perspective, on average, someone who's just declining like a normal aging person loses between 8 and 10% of muscle mass per decade. Wow. So in 10 days, that's something that should be put up at every hospital. So I do a lot of talks to physios, hospital physios, community physios, and we talk about even within the hospital, you got to keep people moving. Like, yeah. So bed rest or not doing something or sedentary behavior is going to kill you. Yeah.
1: There's a friend Sorry of mine. Ours- There's a friend of ours who's over 70 and, uh, and she runs loads. She's a really active person. And then she found during, when there was all the lockdowns and they encouraged people over the age of 70 to stay in, she found she lost like her muscle mass deteriorated. And she found, and she was, she was really frustrated because she said, well, at this age, like you lose it so quick and it's hard to put it back on. Like she was really, you know, physically kind of gone, this is not fair. Like my muscle mass is so important. I've worked so hard to maintain this and, uh. And she, you know, I just thought it was really interesting. Can I I say one more thing? One more question. Metabolism. We haven't talked about metabolism and there's a common perception that like how I understand metabolism, it's the kind of like, it's almost like your engine. It's how quick you burn calories. And, uh, And you've got like a hundred meter sprinter who's full of muscles. And then you've got someone who's obese and sedentary and they both have very different metabolisms obviously the sprinter is going to have more quicker metabolism and the overweight person is going to have a slower metabolism as we get older does their metabolism deteriorate or is their metabolism a function of how much lean muscle mass we have or how does what is the link here between health metabolism and it's a good
0: question I actually listened to no I listened to a very interesting podcast yesterday about this but um, ultimately you made a good point the more skeletal muscle mass you have, basically the better you utilize calories and at rest, the more calories you burn, okay? So if you take someone who has a body composition of mainly made up of fat mass or adipose tissue versus muscle mass, the person, if we're sitting side by side or doing nothing, just sitting there, the person who more muscle mass, lean muscle tissue is gonna burn more calories at rest so from a pure health perspective that is better because they they can basically eat more and eat healthier and they're burning more calories at rest so their metabolic rate is faster than the person with more adipose tissue so a sprinter who has high levels of muscle mass which is type 2 muscle fibers which is the big muscle fibers which helps them power and move fast at rest, they're going to burn more calories than their sedentary counterparts who has more adipose tissue.
1: And this, I'm thinking of this in terms of as we age. So, say James, yourself, you're now 80 or you're 70, and obviously there probably is some link between age and metabolism declining as we get older. But I wonder if, like, if you're 17, you've still got plenty of muscle mass, your metabolism will probably still be quick compared to other less muscly 70 year olds. Is that? Yeah, there's right? lots of
0: studies. Yeah, hundred percent. So if you look at an active 70-year-olds and then look at their skeletal muscle tissue versus a sedentary 40-year-olds, normally the active 70-year-olds will have, under microscope, better skeletal muscle health than the sedentary 40-year-olds. 30-year wow. difference, that's true, but the, wow. the active 70-year-olds. So that shows you have a huge opportunity between 30 and 70 to, whether we're talking about metabolism, skeletal muscle health, cardiovascular health, to maintain high metabolic rate or high muscle mass or high cardiovascular fitness. It's, it sounds like the
1: last quarter, like the final 75 to 100 is where science is going to like, cause you know the way it sounds like you're up against it. Like if you want to live past hundred and even, even my mother-in-law, she, she's staying with us at the moment and she was saying her gran, her grandmother lived to 106 on some side and the other side, they lived to 98 or whatever. And I kind of going for us modern day urbanites, that, you know, as you said, the life expectancy has gone up, but it sounds like the last quarter, like the, the 75 to 100 in terms of the age bracket is the one that science probably needs to help us as much as our own habits. Or am I talking absolutely crap?
0: No, no, you're not. I think there's two points there. I think from a research perspective, you'll always find that doing research on the oldest old becomes more challenging. It's easier to do studies on a sixty-year-old to a seventy-five-year-old or the seventy-five plus because they've more wrong with them. So there's less research done in that cohort. So it's it's hard to give it's hard to be as definite as about what happens after that. That's one point. I want to say another point that you said on your mother-in-law, I think, or your mother I can't remember which is Mother in law, yeah. Mother in law. She, her grandma lived to ninety or one hundred and six or one hundred and four or ninety eight. So there's two components: just genetics and there's lifestyle. And people, I hear people say, uh, "It's in my family," and I'm going, "Can I curse on us?" <laughs> hey, you're letting air. <laughs> that is fucking bullshit, right? It's twenty percent is genetics. Yeah, I'll take that. Twenty to thirty percent, but the rest of how you're made up is your lifestyle. And the four main components, in no particular order, but are exercise, nutrition, sleep, and stress. As you said earlier on, they all, one exercise and nutrition can affect the others. But if your sleep is good, nutritional habits are good, i.e., high plant-based food, not predominantly, but if that's what it is, you know your protein intake is high, your caloric intake is not over consuming on energy burns whether it's the rest is made up of fats and carbohydrates that's up to you exercise is good whether it's three times a week or it's exercise snacking every day good solid sleep reasonable stress good happiness unless something happens to you you will probably live a healthy lifestyle now it's not a guarantee i'm not advocating this is the, but this is based on my own research research that's out there and 20% to 30% max is genetics the rest is up to you
1: I think that's brilliant that's an inspiring lovely place to end it James you're brilliant really really lovely really enjoyed the conversation it really reminded me just the importance of consistently. I love that word exercise snacking I'm going to try to. that's a lovely one lovely one I look forward to running running with you in Mallorca someday or in Ireland
0: Well, whenever you come over I will definitely run with you or when I go back to Ireland I will run with you guys Brilliant. But really? consistency is key.
1: That was a great chat. I really, what a gentleman. I really enjoyed really talking to him. And I look forward to one of Yeah, genuinely do. I look forward to building a friendship. Uh, I love what he does. I love his message. So important. And it's it's something that I think we need to be reminded of so often because as we kind of indicated and referred to that I think modern life is set up to be comfortable and we are creatures of, that like comfort. We, really, like, we like being efficient with our energy. So therefore laziness is kind of baked. And not even laziness. I think it's, we just, we need to build that habitual muscle in terms of training and exercise and movement. And we tend to become better versions of ourselves when given a little bit of pressure. That's not stress, but a little bit of pressure. A little so, bit of so I think big takeaways there I got was social accountability, the importance of consistently having social, being held socially accountable to move with friends because by yourself, it's harder to move and movement can be in many different forms. He talks about the two main types being concurrent where it's strength and aerobic together. And, uh, and one, one of my d- biggest thing was that like, Start with finding an exercise that you like. If you don't like going to the gym, don't go to the gym. If you like dancing, go dancing. But find something that you like. That's the first point. I, I was amazed with it because we run all the time and we'll run and I'll get 10,000 steps or 12,000 steps in a run. And it's fun and it's nice and it's outdoors. But last Friday night we went dancing and I got 35,000 steps. I didn't even notice. I was having so much fun. So, like, I think the correlation between finding something you do, what you love... And the amount of aerobic activity you're doing is, uh, is yeah, interesting. I don't know where I'm going. Uh, anyway, yeah. big shout out to James, who's fabulous. If anyone does want to support this podcast, our new book is out. It's called The Veg Box. It is, It really is all about behavioral change and getting you to eat more veg. And as James even referred to there, trying to consume more whole plant foods, whether you eat chicken or meat or whatever, the whole name of the game is to try to eat more whole plant foods. Our new book, The Veg Box, we've taken... There's 10 chapters, each one being of each of the most common vegetables. We've got 10 recipes for each using 10 ingredients or less. All common ingredients. It's all about empowering you to eat more veg and to waste less food. Yeah. Anyway, thank big you out much, to James. And uh, yeah, see you. Big bye. shout out to Shaunie and Sarah. Bye. 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 bye, bye. bye, 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 bye